purpose, and that was to die, to die in our place, to pay for our sin. It was through the death of Christ that our forgiveness was made possible. Next Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though it was his death that paid for our sin, it's his resurrection that assures us that his death was unlike any other death. It's his resurrection that gives us the evidence that he was who he said he was. Many people have died. Only one resurrected himself from the tomb. But how do we know for sure that Jesus died and was resurrected? You know, there's been all kinds of skeptics throughout history that have raised all kinds of doubts about the validity of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, a few years ago, there was one prominent skeptic, and he proposed this, this theory, and when I say skeptic, this is a person with a PhD who's uh, supposed to be a scholar. He proposed this theory, he said that Jesus' body after the crucifixion was simply thrown in a ditch and, and was probably eaten by wild dogs. The, the national news picked up on this and they interviewed him and, and it was on uh, uh, all the major networks. And the reason he said this is because he says, well, there's historical evidence that uh, the Romans, after crucifixion, simply discarded the bodies and did not allow them to be buried. So, so this is what happens when you know just enough about something to be dangerous. So it, it is true that the Romans discarded bodies and denied them burial. It was just one more final linchpin in the humiliation of crucifixion. When the Romans crucified people, it, it, was, it was intended not just to be torture, but it was intended to be as humiliating as possible. And so when they took the bodies off the cross, they would throw them by a highway or a ditch to be left to be eaten by, by wild animals. The exception was the Jews. The Jews showed great respect for the human body. In part, because of the Pharisees' belief in a future resurrection. Uh, so the Romans, as cruel as they were, they, they didn't want to annihilate the Jews. Dead people can't pay taxes. And so there's a balance between keeping order and, and, and keeping people subject to the empire. And so they made a concession for the Jews that Jewish citizens who were crucified could be buried in a common grave. So when the Romans crucified Jews, they didn't throw them to the roadside as they would anyone else. They threw them in a common grave together. Jesus, however, was not buried in a common grave. And so Matthew goes to great detail to explain to us about the burial of Jesus and the care of his body. 
And so in Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 through 66, the passage we're looking at today, there's two main things that are emphasized. One, that Christ was truly dead, and two, that his body was cared for by his faithful followers. You say, well, why would the Bible need to emphasize that Jesus was truly dead? Uh, people do not want to believe. People do not want to repent. They'll look for any reason they can not to believe. And there are people that suggest that Jesus didn't actually die. But instead, uh, Jesus was just uh, uh, unconscious when he was taken down from the cross. And then he was taken to another location where he recovered and would live out his days in hiding. Uh, any, any kind, of, any kind of, a, of ending that you can think of other than that Jesus actually had power over death and rose from the dead, people have suggested it. People are looking for any reason why they can ignore the message of the cross. And so Matthew emphasizes to us that Jesus was truly dead. He wasn't in a coma or unconscious. He was dead and that his disciples very carefully cared for his body. And when I say his disciples, I'm not talking about the 12, but we'll see some of these people here today so that we might know and believe that Jesus has power over death, over the grave. You see, the reason that you and I have hope that there is such a thing as eternal life, the reason that you and I have hope that there's resurrection from the dead is because Jesus was resurrected. And so today, to prepare to celebrate that, we focus on this passage in Matthew that teaches us about the burial of Jesus' body. Just out of reverence for God's word, would you join me in standing as we read this together? Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 57. The Bible says, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Let's pray together. Father, help us to understand this passage. 
Well, what it means for us that Jesus' followers so carefully cared for his body and what it means that the Jews tried so hard to secure that tomb. God, help us today to celebrate that Jesus is no longer there. For it's in his name that we pray today. Amen. You may be seated. The body of Jesus was respectfully buried. It's one of the things the Bible teaches us here. Even though most crucifixion victims were denied, even a respectful burial, Jews were thrown in a common grave. Jesus' body was respectfully buried. One of the things that we begin to see here is that not all of the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus. The emphasis of Matthew's gospel, and each gospel has a different emphasis, but one of the emphasis of Matthew's gospel is the almost universal rejection of Jesus. Almost. Not everyone rejected Jesus. And so now we come to a man named Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus. The Bible says in verse 57, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, and here's the description, who also was a disciple of Jesus. The Bible would tell us in, in each of the four gospels about this man. Every gospel, as they, they prime in on their, their focus and decide what to include and what to exclude, every gospel would include this man by name. John, in his gospel, here's what he tells us about Joseph of Arimathea. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, and here's more information, but secretly for fear of the Jews. So Joseph of Arimathea believed Jesus. And he was a disciple. He was, he was trying to learn and follow. But because of fear of the Jews, and, and, and when the Bible says the Jews, especially in John's gospel, it doesn't mean all Jewish people. It's talking about the religious leaders. So in fear of them, he was in secret. Now, Joseph of Arimathea, when he comes to Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus, he is no longer following in secret. You see, this is the thing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It forces us to decide which side we're on. How can anybody say that Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid for our sins, and that when he rose from the grave, he conquered death? How can anybody say that and believe that and at the same time reject Jesus? Once you come to understand that Jesus, as God, offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for sin, and that as God, he raised himself from the dead, the, the, only, the only reasonable option after that is to worship him and to believe in him. But, but this, this is the great dividing line here. See, Joseph of Arimathea, before this, had been in secret. You know, the Bible says there were other members of the Jewish leadership that believed in Jesus, but secretly. But unlike Joseph of Arimathea, who would finally come out as a follower in the open, it says that those other men 
remained in secret because they loved the praise of men. At some point, you have to decide which side you're on. And the, the cross and the resurrection forces us to choose a side. Either we say, oh, it's just a hoax. Either we say, it's just a fairy tale. Either we say, nice people mean well when they talk about that, but it's simply not true. Or we acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is. Who else could raise themselves from the dead but the son of God? Joseph of Arimathea, who before this had been in secret, now comes forward publicly. Luke tells us a little bit more about this man. In Luke 23, verse 50, it says, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. Luke tells us that Joseph was a member of the council. He's talking about the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish high court. There were 71 members of the Sanhedrin. And so Joseph is one of 71 men who ruled the nation of Israel in the first century under the thumb of the Roman Empire. But Joseph of Arimathea, if we could compare him today, it would be like, it'd be like being a U.S. senator. We have 100 senators in the United States that are elected to the Senate. In ancient Jerusalem, they had 71 men that were on the Jewish high council. This man, Joseph, is one of them. And the Bible tells us here that he did not go along with the Jews' plot against Jesus. Mark tells us why he would ask for the body of Jesus. In Mark, he says, in verse 43 of chapter 15, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, listen to this, took courage, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. This man who before, out of fear of the Jews, was a disciple in secret, at the death of Jesus, he takes courage. And he comes out publicly. The Jews had plotted to destroy Jesus. They had manipulated Pilate to get their way. When one among their own ranks, Joseph of Arimathea, goes against them and goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus, there's no turning back. No one would ever again wonder which side Joseph of Arimathea was on. The Bible never speaks of him again. It doesn't tell us what it cost him. There's a good chance that he was removed from the Sanhedrin. There's a good chance he was expelled from the synagogue altogether. As systematically, the Christians would eventually all be expelled from the synagogue. We don't know what it cost this man to follow Jesus, but we know that in a moment crisis seeing Jesus crucified he had to make a decision whether he would remain in secret or whether he would come out in the open 
And the Bible says in Mark that he took courage and he went and he asked for the body of Jesus. You see, Joseph's position and wealth gave him access to the governor, Pilate. So in verse 58, it says, he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Few people probably could have even seen Pilate on that day, let alone received a favor. But yet, Joseph of Arimathea is on the Jewish High Council. Joseph of Arimathea is a wealthy man. And his position and power gives him access to Pilate. Do you know all throughout the Bible we see God putting people in places so that in a certain moment he might use them for a certain purpose? The Bible tells us about this lady named Esther. Esther's beauty caused her to become the queen of Persia. And in a moment of crisis for the Jews, her uncle Mordecai would say this to her. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom. Listen to this phrase. For such a time as this. Mordecai said to his, to Esther, he said, perhaps the whole reason that God made you gorgeous, that's how she became queen, by the way, it was a beauty contest. He said, perhaps the whole reason that God made you gorgeous, the whole reason that you were selected and you became queen was so that at this moment, you and I have access to the king and speak on behalf of God's people. On this day, there was a man named Joseph who was wealthy and powerful. And it would seem that God put him there so that in that moment, he might be able to go and ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. Have you ever thought that the family you were born into, the neighborhood you live in, the place that you work, that perhaps God has put you in that place for such a time as this? That you might be God's man, God's woman to speak truth into the lives of other people. God raised up this man, Joseph of Arimathea, who would go and ask for the body of Jesus and receive it so that he might give Jesus what by all other standards was an extravagant burial. In verse 59, it says, Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he'd cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. In, in ancient Israel, graves were shared. Oftentimes, uh, an area would be cut into rock, and there would be sometimes even multiple 
chambers inside of there. And they would, they would belong to an entire family, a large family. And when someone died, they would take the body and they would lay it in the tomb and it would decay. And two or three years later, when nothing was left but the bones, they would go into the tomb, they would gather the bones and they would put them in a box. It's called an ossuary box. There's still many of them in existence today. And they would take that box and they would put it on a shelf inside the tomb. And then that same tomb would be used for the next member of the family that passed. And many, many people would share that same tomb together. But Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. And so he didn't have to share a tomb. He had cut his own new tomb that no one had ever used before. And he offers it for the body of Jesus. The Bible says that he had a great stone rolled across it. It was not the Jews who put the stone there, nor the Romans. It was Joseph of Arimathea. And they would use a great stone to keep animals from being able to access the body. They would put a great heavy stone to deter grave robbers. And Jesus, while other Jews who were crucified would be thrown into a, a common grave, Jesus would be laid inside this tomb, cut into rock, which no person had ever been buried in before. This would fulfill what was prophesied in the Old Testament by Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 9, it says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. That rich man was Joseph of Arimathea. Matthew goes on to tell us that the same witnesses of the crucifixion would also be present for the burial. And by the way, they would later be present for the resurrection. In verse 61, it says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Now, Mary Magdalene and this lady who's here referred to as the other Mary were first mentioned at the crucifixion. They were there as well. And if we back up to verse 55 and 56, it says there were also many women there looking on from a distance. So we know there were many women, but just a few are named who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Most likely, later when it says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, it's talking about Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. So they're there at the crucifixion. They see Jesus crucified. They see him taken down from the cross. They see him taken to the tomb and buried. And they're sitting across from the tomb as Joseph of Arimathea has his body placed in there, prepared, and the stone rolled across. You say, what difference does that make? Well, some would say that Jesus was just a, a case of mistaken identity. They buried his body in haste. They forgot where they put it. Three days later, they went back to a different tomb, and it was empty. And they said, oh, he's risen. You say, surely wouldn't people say that? Yes, they do. Google it. Skeptics say that today. But yet Matthew tells us that the same witnesses were there for all these occasions. 
that the same ladies that saw him crucified, saw him taken down, and saw him laid in the tomb would later come back to see him risen. In Matthew 28, 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, Jesus' resurrection was not a case of mistaken identity. Uh, it, it was a case of power over death. The Jews, they went to great lengths to secure the tomb. In verse 62, it says, The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the, the day of preparation was the day before the Sabbath. But Matthew doesn't even say the Sabbath. He says the day after preparation, because what's important was not the Sabbath anymore. What was important was the day that Jesus died, the day of preparation. That, that, was, that was the great day, not, not the Sabbath. But now, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. And they said, sir, we remember how this imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. You see, the Jews knew the teaching of God they didn't believe it they knew what jesus had said but they didn't believe him in matthew chapter 11 this is earlier in the, the preaching ministry of jesus listen to what he would say about those who hear and do not believe in matthew chapter 11 verse 20 it says then he, that, that's Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Now, these are cities where Jesus had worked great miracles and people saw these miracles, but they didn't respond in repentance. He says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to the heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And in the next chapter, Jesus would go on to teach the same principle here. After giving a parable about a servant and his master, here's what he says to sum up the point of the parable. And that servant who knew his master's will, but not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The chief priests, the rulers, they heard the preaching of Jesus. They saw the miracles. After his death, they went to Pilate, by, by the way, violating their own understanding of the Sabbath. That's how desperate they were to end the ministry of Jesus. They went to Pilate, and they said, this man said that after three days he was going to rise. They knew what Jesus had said. 
and yet they did not believe nor respond. And Jesus had taught, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 11 and 12 that we read, that God holds us accountable for what we know. If you've decided in your heart that you don't want anything to do with Jesus, the best thing you could do for yourself is to leave here and never return again. Because for every sermon you hear, God will hold you accountable for what you knew and did not respond to. The Jews knew what Jesus had taught. They saw the miracles. They knew what he preached, but they refused to believe it. And so on this moment, as Joseph of Arimathea has come out of their ranks and identified himself as a disciple of Jesus, they have gone now to Pilate on the next day to try to secure a guard of soldiers to make sure that no one could say that Jesus rose from the dead. The amazing thing is that the Jews unwittingly affirmed the resurrection. You see in verse 64, it says, this is Pilate speaking, therefore ordered the tomb to, to be made secure until the third day. This is, or this is Jews asking Pilate, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. So Pilate gives them a guard of Roman soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone. They put a seal on the stone so that anyone would know the tampering with that stone was a violation of Roman law. And then they put a set, a guard of soldiers. You see, by securing the tomb, they left no other logical explanation for an empty tomb other than the resurrection of Jesus. You see, Jesus... When he died, he paid for our sin. The reason that we know that that's true is because three days later, he rose from the dead. Just because Jesus made payment for our sin and offers it as a free gift, that's the Bible's words, not mine, a free gift, it's still not ours until we receive it. Joseph of Arimathea came to a crisis in his life. He had believed, but not come forward. He had believed, but in secret, because he was afraid of the Jews. At some point, we've got to decide whether we're going to believe or not. At some point, we've got to decide whether we're going to make our faith public, whether we're going to let the world intimidate us, or whether we're going to come out as followers of Jesus. I, I urge you today to receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior so that the forgiveness that he made possible through his death 
could be received as a gift by you. So that the hope that he's given us by his resurrection could become your hope. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus, what he did for us on the cross. Help us, Lord, to receive this by faith, to believe and to trust and to follow. Lord, today we give this time to you. For the next few moments, have your will in our lives as you draw us into yourself. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. The Lord gave us some symbols. Uh, one is baptism. Baptism symbolizes what God does in us when we're saved. And it symbolizes what Christ did for us. As we go under the water and come up out of the water, it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a picture of what Christ is going to do in us as we put to death an old way of life and rise to walk in newness of life. There's another symbol that the Lord gave us. It came out of the Passover meal. This symbol of juice and bread symbolizes receiving Christ. Now, just as a meal may be set out before you, you remain hungry until you eat. 